where every morning we sit down and we just spend time reading through scripture and we've been reading through the entire Bible. Uh, we read through the entire New Testament. Now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. And if anything, if there's anything that brings me just profound joy is seeing people who are engaging in the word for themselves, um, spending the time just reading the word. And I'm sure for many of you, this is a new thing for you. Uh, there are many of you who've never really disciplined yourself in that, where you're just reading through the entire Bible. Um, and so I'm glad that I can journey with you in that because I believe that it is a profoundly transformative endeavor when believers come together and they just read the word. Um, I know I spend time ranting. That's why we call this the read and rant. That's why we made a podcast out of this. This is actually going to be a podcast episode called the read and rant podcast. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, this is actually a live that you're eavesdropping into a recording of. And so, uh, you know, it's just been an incredible endeavor just to spend time in reading. And I call it a rant because for those of you who have been here, you know that I'll go off and just spend some time reflecting on what the word says. I want to reflect and ruminate on it, but it isn't, I don't have anything prepared. I call it a rant. So that way I keep the bar really, really low so that you guys don't think this is a cohesive prepared um, sermon or Bible study or thought. Uh, this is simply just a time where we're just reflecting. And so we just go as the Lord leads. Uh, we go as the Lord leads and we just see what the Lord is, is speaking into us in the moment as we are reading his word. And so the thing that's most important is that we spend the time in the reading and that's what we, we're here to do. And so we're in Job chapter 15. If you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there, we're in Job chapter 15 and we're going to spend time in reading. And for those of you who have journeyed in it, I've gotten all the testimonies from you guys that have said, this has changed your whole perspective on the Bible. You know, reading the Bible in its totality as a whole changes your perspective of it and what this is what this book is really all about um it's not just what people tell you that it is or the verses people throw at you here and there and you know verses that are thrown at you out of context verses that are just but instead when you read it and notice and i hope many of you are seeing it is that it's not it's not so complex that you must be some type of theologian or biblical scholar uh, to read and to understand this text. Um, it's not meant to just be understood by mind. It's meant to be eaten by the spirit. That's why he says your words came. Jeremiah says your words came and I ate them and that they're the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Because again, the word is food. It is spiritual food. And I'm so glad that you guys are engaging with me in the reading of the word. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to spend some time reading the word and then we're going to spend some time reflecting on the word. And it seems fitting that in this season that we're reading through the book of Job. Uh, we're reading through the book of Job and I believe that Job has something to say to us as we engage. And so we're just going to read and we're going to ask three questions. We're going to say, Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question we're going to ask is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question we're going to ask as we're reading is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? And I want you each to ask that individually. And maybe what I'm getting won't be what you're getting. I will share what I'm getting and you can see my process. But I believe that the Lord wants to speak to each of us in a unique way as we spend time together today in the reading of the word. So let us read together. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you brought us here. Lord, I thank you that you've given us the privilege, Lord, to engage with you in such a concrete and explicit way, Lord, that you've given us your word, Lord, that we can 
engage with it. Lord, that we can hear your heart, your plan, your mission. So, Father, open up our hearts, Lord, to receive your heart. Open up our spirit, Lord, to receive your spirit. Testify to us, God. Lord, convict what needs conviction. Correct what needs correction. Encourage where encouragement is needed. Give strength where strength is needed. Give hope where hope is needed. Give clarity where clarity is needed. Simplicity where simplicity is needed. Father, as we engage in your word, Father, we submit ourselves to you in this time. So God, guide us. Lead us, Lord. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. So let's do it. We're in Job chapter 15, and we're going to engage, and then we're going to see where the Lord leads. Father, have your way. It says this in Job chapter 15, that Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Should a wise man answer with empty knowledge and fill himself with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or by speeches with which he can do no good? Yes, you cast off fear and restrain prayer before God for your iniquities teaches your mouth and you choose the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. Yes, your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man who was born or were you made before the hills? Have you heard the counsel of God? Do you limit the wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we don't know? What do you understand that is not in us? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us much older than your father. Are the consolations of God too small for you? And the word spoken gently with you, why does your heart carry you away? And what do your eyes wink at? that you turn your spirit against God and let such words go out of your mouth. What is man that he could be pure and he who is born of a woman that he could be righteous. If God puts no trust in his saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. I will tell you, hear me, What I have seen, I will declare what wise men have told, not anything received from their fathers to whom alone the land was given. No alien passed among them. The wicked man writhed with pain all his days and the number of years is hidden from the oppressor. Then Job answered and said, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end? What provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. Though I speak, my grief is not relieved. And if I remain silent, how am I eased? But now he has worn me out. You have made me desolate, all my company. You have shriveled me up and it is a witness against me. My leanness rises up against me and bears witness to my face. He tears me in his wrath and hates me. He gnashes at me with his teeth. My adversary sharpens his gaze on me. They gape at me with their mouth. They strike me reproachfully on the cheek. They gather together against me. God has delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he has shattered me. He also has taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. He has set me up for his target. His archers surround me. He pierces my heart and does not pity. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks me with wound upon wound. He runs at me like a warrior. 
I have sewn sackcloth over my skin and laid my head in the dust. My face is flushed from weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Although no violence is in my hand, and my prayer is pure. O earth, do not cover my blood, and let my cry have no resting place. Surely even now my witness is in heaven, and my evidence is on high. My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God, as a man pleads for his neighbor. For when a few years are finished, I shall go the way of no return. My spirit is broken. My days are extinguished. The grave is ready for me. Are not mockers with me? And does not my eye dwell on their provocation? Now put on the pledge for me with yourself. Who is he who will shake hands with me? For you have hidden their heart from understanding. Therefore, you will not exalt them, he who speaks flattery to his friends. But the eyes of his children will fail. But he has made me a byword of the people, and I have become one in whose face men spit. My eye has also grown dim because of sorrow. And all my members are like shadows. Upright men are astonished at this. And the innocent stirs himself up against the hypocrite. Yet the righteous will hold to his way. And he who has clean hands will be stronger and stronger. But please come back again, all of you. For I shall not find one wise man among you. My days are past. My purposes are broken off. Even the thoughts of my heart, they charge the night into day. The light is clear, they say, in the face of darkness. If I wait for the grave as my house, if I make my bed in the darkness, if I say corruption, you are my father, and to the worm, you are my mother and sister, where is where then is my hope? As for my hope, who can see it? Will they go down to the gates of Sheol? Shall we have rest together in the dust? Then Bildad, the Shuite, answered and said, How long till you put an end to words? Gain understanding, and afterward we will speak. Why are we counted as beasts and regarded as stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself in anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you? Or shall the rock be removed from its place? The light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in its tent, and his lamp beside him is put out. The steps of strength are shortened, and his own counsel casts him down, for he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks into a snare. The net takes him by the heel, and the snare lays hold of him a noose. Hmm. A noose is hidden from him on the ground, and a trap for him on the road. Terrors frighten him on every side, and drive him to his feet. His strength is starved, and destruction is ready at his side. It devours patches of his skin, and the firstborn of death devours his limbs. He is uprooted from the shelter of his tent, and they parade him before the king of terrors. They dwell in his tent, who are none of his. Brimstone is scattered on his dwelling, His roots are dried out below, and his branch withers above. The memory of him perishes from the earth, and he has no name among the renowned. He is driven from light into darkness, and chased out of the world. He is neither son nor posterity among his people, nor any remainings in his dwelling. Those in the west are astonished at his day, 
as those in the east are frightened. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not know God. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me. And if indeed I have erred, my error remains with me. If indeed you exalt yourselves against me and plead my disgrace against me, know then that God has wronged me and has surrounded me with his net. If I cry out concerning wrong, I am not heard. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. My hope he has uprooted like a tree. He has also kindled his wrath against me. He counts me as one of his enemies. His troops come together and build up their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. He has removed my brothers afar from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed, and my close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I'm repulsive to the children of my own body. Even young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O oh, you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at the last day on earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. If you should say, how shall we persecute him, since the root of the matter is found in me, be afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know there is judgment. I'm going to stop here. I'm still attempting to take it easy. I'm going to attempt to take it easy. This one's going to be tough. Because if there's anything that's happening as I'm reading this, is everything, everything, everything is shaken up in me. Everything is awakening in me as I read this. I'm, I'm alive. 
<laughs> I can't say that enough. I'm alive. We've been journeying, family, through the book of Job. And what we're trying to do is, is we're attempting to bring understanding. We're attempting to find purpose and clarity behind why we suffer. Suffering is a is a peculiar thing. Um, suffering is peculiar because of the many uh, things that you can experience and the many parts of what we call the human experience. Suffering is the one that seems most inhumane. And I say that suffering is the one that seems most inhumane because suffering is the one that goes against the human uh, makeup. What is the human makeup? He tells us in Genesis that it is not right that man should be alone. It isn't right that man should be alone. And what suffering does is of all the different elements and the parts of the human experience, what suffering does is suffering isolates you. We've talked about that. Suffering has a way of making you alone when you shouldn't feel alone. Suffering has a way of reminding you of your humanity, reminding you of your mortality. It's when you suffer, you come to recollection that this flesh, this body that you have is not going to exist forever. It's, it's when you suffer and you feel pain that you begin to reflect and to realize that something's wrong right now, but this isn't it. Suffering has this keen way of reminding us that something isn't right in the world. Something isn't right. Something isn't, something isn't working. This is not how it's supposed to be. And I know there's some people right now who are experiencing suffering and you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you have this visceral reminder that there's a brokenness, there's a fracture, there's something that is disconnected. There's a disconnect here because pain is not and should not and was not intended in any way to be a part of the human experience. Let me say that one more time. Pain was not designed or intended to be a part of the human experience. Remember when we read in the early part of the scriptures in Genesis, you know, you can learn so much about the human experience, the human condition and humanity itself in the first three chapters of Genesis. I believe the first three chapters of Genesis are some of the most powerful chapters in the Bible, the most powerful chapters in all of scripture of all the volumes and all the things that have been written. I'm going to say this one more time. I'm going to say this one more time because this needs to be said. It needs to be said of all the volumes of books that have been written about humanity, anthropology, psychology, psychiatry, anything that has to do with the understanding of the human condition, they still could not fill. Even all those volumes still could not fill the first three chapters of the Bible. The first three chapters of the Bible tell us so much about the human experience, the human condition, the human existence. If you're learning and you want to know anything about humanity, just read the first three books or the first three chapters of the first book of the Bible. Promise you on that. And what we learn in those first three books 
is that pain was not meant. It's exactly right. It was a glitch in the matrix. Pain wasn't meant to be a part of the human experience. Why? Because pain didn't come until after Eve sinned. Did you hear me on that? Pain did not come until Eve, Adam and Eve sinned. Pain was never a part of God's plan from the beginning. Pain is just a reminder that something is broken in the world. After they sinned, pain was put upon the woman. In pain, you will experience childbirth. Pain was never meant to be a part of the experience. And yet now pain is a visceral part of the human experience. And all pain does is pain reminds us that something is wrong. Isn't it funny? That the moment you feel pain immediately, what pain is supposed to be is it's supposed to be a signal. It's supposed to tell you, you know what? Something's wrong. If it's in your body, if it's in your mind, something is wrong. Something ain't right. And that's why when you experience pain, seek wisdom and understanding. Don't just try to kill it. When you're experiencing pain, because I know us folk, we got a problem with pain. We run away from it. We look to satiate it. We look to minimize it. Some of us, we drown our pain in pain pills. Some of us, we drown our pain in drugs. Some of us, we drown our pain in all kinds of other things that distract us away from pain. But pain is just a visceral reminder that something is wrong and something needs to be addressed and something needs to be dealt with. If it's in your body, pay attention to your pain. If it's in your mind and if it's in your soul, pay attention to your pain. Pain wasn't meant to be run away from, but simply a signal that something is broken. It's a signal that something is broken. So therefore, go to where the problem is and find the place of healing for it. I promise you can find it in Jesus. Pain was never meant to be a part of the human experience. Death was never meant to be a part of the human experience. And yet, whenever we experience pain, it's a signal. And there's nothing wrong. I want to make sure you understand this. There's nothing wrong with taking pain pills, okay? But you don't just take the pill without finding where the root of the issue is, right? And so there's a place where we find solace, and there's a place where we find rest, and there's a place where, yeah, you take the pills because you need a break. But there's a brokenness there. Okay, there's a brokenness there. And so we find healing in that. Now, why am I bringing all this up? I'm bringing all this up because what Job is doing is Job is exposing the reality of what pain does. Pain isolates. Is anything pain does is pain isolates. Pain separates. And the pain from dogs and cows and giraffes, my brother, Those pains come from also the sin of mankind, not from giraffes and dogs and cows, because dogs, cows and giraffes were not given dominion. We're not given responsibility over the earth. We're not given power and authority. And yet mankind has been given power and authority. I've said this before, as we've been reading from Genesis all the way up to this point is that God is delegating everything he does through humanity and through mankind, right? God is delegating everything to humanity and through mankind. So we don't wait for God to do anything because God is doing everything through us. 
And this is why the flesh is so critical, right? This is why the flesh is so critical. The flesh is critical because, again, God never intended for us to have corruptible flesh. That was never the intention. We're still trying to figure out why we age. We're still trying to figure out why, you know, the body just stops healing itself. We're still trying to figure out why over time the body just begins to deteriorate. We still try, we're still trying to figure over time why the body goes bad. There's scientists that are still studying this, studying aging, studying death, trying to find ways to extend life. And yes, science is doing every effort it can to extend life because again, deep within the heart of humanity and mankind is that this shouldn't end this way. There should be more. There should be more. Pain. Pain isolates you, even from the people who love you. Pain isolates you from even the people who you would have thought or initially presupposed were on your side. These are Job's friends who are on his side. And yet Job is going through pain. And while they're trying to make sense of the pain, they're taking a man who's already isolated in his experience because his pain is his. Nobody else can take it. Nobody else can feel it. But then they're looking to diagnose it. And in diagnosing it, they're further distancing themselves from the whole purpose of the experience in and of itself. Because again, we tend to have a way of thinking of pain as a reward or cost. We tend to think of death, pain, all these things as if I do good things, then I'll experience less pain. If I do bad things, then I'll experience more pain. And then we get confused why bad people have good lives and why good people live horrible lives because we have this morality that doesn't align with a godly morality. It's actually a human morality. It's a human morality. It's a morality that is not godly, that's not rooted in God, but rather rooted in, I would call, earthly wisdom. And these men who are all wise in and of themselves, and make sure you understand what this is happening. All this is happening before Moses. All this is happening before. So this is before the Ten Commandments. This is before um, God's promise on Abraham. This is before the Hebrews were the Hebrews. This is before all of that. And Job being one of the oldest stories in the Bible is giving us revelation to something so powerful that I want to close our thought today on. This is profoundly powerful. Stay with me, family. Because I know I can go, I can go all over the place and we could talk about a lot of things and we can dig into a lot of stuff, particularly with the book of Job. The, the, the oldest historical account in the Bible aside from Adam and Eve, and arguably aside from Noah. Pay very close attention, family. Job is having a discourse with his friends and a contemporaneous discourse with God. Job knows God. Job is declared righteous before God. 
righteous before the law, righteous before the Ten Commandments, righteous, righteous before God calls Abraham, righteous before all the patriarchs. And during this early patriarchal era, Job is declared righteous because again, righteousness is not about the law. Righteousness is about the justice of God. I want you guys to pay very close attention. And when Job feels pain, he's confronted with his definition of righteousness and whatever the wisdom of that time, their definition of righteousness was. Because up until this point, righteousness was seen as a good, do good things and you're righteous and therefore no pain. Do bad things, you're evil and therefore you should experience pain. Stay with me here. Pain is a signal in in worldly human wisdom of injustice. Pain is the consequence of injustice. So if you feel pain, then you must have done something wrong that you need to correct and you need to get right. And until you get right with God, then the pain won't go away. And what Job is doing is, is Job is wrestling with what his understanding of righteousness is and what his understanding of justice is and what God calls right and wrong and what is just and unjust, what is good versus bad or what is good versus evil. And so he's wrestling with good and evil in the midst of this pain with God. And then he's also wrestling with good and evil in his definition and his encounter with his friends, because again, he's defending what he knows about himself. He's trying to figure out what did I do? But in the midst of trying to figure out what he did to address God, to make the pain go away, because that's what we want. We want pain to go away. Nobody likes pain. We want pain to go away. But then at the same time, he's got to defend himself to his friends. Like you guys were on my side. Y'all were supposed to be on my side. And yet what you're doing is you're forcing me to now figure out a morality that isn't a God morality, creating your own prescriptions about what I should be doing, which is a lesson for some of us who have friends who are in pain, that often we can find ourselves in a place of diagnosing and finding solutions and answers when often there are no answers. And yet, no, what we're doing is, well, you should be doing that and you shouldn't have done that. And how many of us have done this? How many of us have, we're either in pain or we've experienced somebody who we know is close to us in pain. And in that moment, we start giving them prescriptions and we start telling them, well, you know, Maybe you should be taking this or you should be doing that. And, and maybe you should be doing this. And you know what? If you had done this and maybe if, you know, all those years you weren't smoking or if all those years you weren't doing these things. And so in the moment that your friend, your brother, your sister, your family member, that person is down, that's when you feel like you should start prescribing things. Since when? Did we actually dwell 
in our family members' pain? Like, since when did we actually sit and say, I know you're going through it, and I'm just going to sit with you and go through it with you? Or are we like some of these guys that we see, where we don't empathize, no, we prescribe. Everybody's an expert when you're going through pain. Everybody is an expert when you're going through it. Everybody will diagnose you and prescribe things to you and say, you should have been doing this. You should have been doing that. Or you can do this and you can do that. And yet, as if you didn't try half the stuff that they were telling you. And yet, how shameful does it make a person who's in pain feel when they're going through and they share it with you? And the first thing you say is, what did you do wrong? What if we just back up for a moment and dwell with our family and dwell with our neighbor and dwell with our brother and dwell with our friend and say, hey, I know you're going through it. So I'm just going to sit here with you, even if I don't have the answers. Sometimes when your friend, your brother, your sister is going through it. They don't need someone to prescribe or to come up with an answer, maybe. They just need someone who can just sit with them and help them process their pain. There are too many of us who are like Job's wise friends who were quick to blame and to shame and to point and to say, this is what you should have been doing. This is what you should have been doing. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. And yet Job, he's already Dealing with God on this. Wow, I just feel it's heavy right now. It's heavy. There's someone here right now. Yes, you. You are going through it. And you're trying to figure it out. Like, why am I going through this much pain? What have I done to go through this much pain? What have I done to go through this? And you're sitting there trying to deal with God and you're wrestling with God and you're fighting with God on this. Like, God, just tell me what to do so I can fix it. And yes, that hurts. And it's painful, especially when you're not getting the answers from God that you would want to get. But it's even more painful when it's your family and your friends and people who are around you who are also prescribing and shaming you for the thing that you're going through. And so now your conversation with God is distracted by your defending yourself to your friends. You know what? There's a point that you have to get to where you got to shut down all that talk and you just got to bring your pain to God and just deal with God on it. Sometimes God is calling you to a season of isolation because God wants to deal with you. And yes, there are times where you don't need to sit around trying to defend yourself to your friends and to people who are around you explaining yourself. This is not the season to explain yourself. This is simply a season to dwell with God in the midst of the pain. You know what I see in this text? I see Job who's distracted by his friends. Job is going through pain, and we're going to see Job overcome. We know how this book ends, but we're learning about the wisdom of pain. That's really what we're learning about, the wisdom of suffering. And what we see happening here, and this is why I want to <laughs> I want to 
<laughs> rest. Uh, again, I could I could preach this. There's so many ways to preach this today. I just want to speak to the heart today. There are some folks in here who you are too busy battling your friends and your family and making sense with it with them, defending yourself with them, that you're being distracted from the will, the heart, and the grace of God even in the midst of that pain. And I'll go one step further. If you're too distracted by those who are around you, you will miss out on the revelation that comes out of pain. Job almost misses out. Ah, but Job says something so powerful at the end of this reading. It is in the moment that he finally removes himself from his distraction. He's been, for chapter 18, he's defending himself. He's trying to defend himself with Bildad. He's heard from Zoar. He's heard from his friends. And now he's, he, he's, he's been trying to defend himself. And of course, never really addressing it because, again, your friend's perception can't fix your pain. Another conversation for another day. People's perception of you won't fix your pain. How people see you is not going to fix how you feel. Ooh, what a lie the enemy has told us. <laughs> what a lie the enemy has told us. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? How one of the lies of the enemy is that if we look better in front of people, if we can change people's perceptions of us, if we can change how people think and and feel about us, then it'll make us feel better. As if people's perceptions of us fix our pain. How somebody sees you won't fix what's going on deep down inside of you. How somebody perceives you is not going to fix that darkness and that pain and that suffering. You can cover up all the things that happened to you in your childhood Cover up all the pain you've experienced. You can do everything you can to cover it all up. And yet it will not cover up what's going on deep within you. You might look good to everybody else, uh, but you know, deep down inside, there's still something broken in you. And what God wants to do is God wants you to unveil, remove that. Stop focusing on other people. Stop fixating yourself on how people feel about you. It's actually your people pleasing and your perceptions of what people think and you worrying about people's perceptions of you that has actually limited and distracted you from what God wants to do with you. So instead, word of advice, if you really want God to transform you, get over what people think about you. If you really want God to change you and to turn you around, get over what people's perceptions and opinions are about you. Because if you focus so much on what people think, it's going to distract you away from what God is really saying. So get over people and get all in on God. All in on God. And Job does that, family. Job finally gets to a place where he's like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. 
I'm over here dealing with y'all. When even in the midst of this, I got a God who I can go to. And notice what Job does. He comes to God with all of it. He, he comes to God at the beginning. And what does Job say at the beginning of chapter 19? I'm sorry, y'all. I'm ranting. I should have been off, but I'm, I'm, oh man, I'm boiling up now. Job answered and says, how long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? These 10 times you have reproached me. You have not shamed, but you have wronged me. And if indeed I have erred, my errors remain with me. Now, if indeed you exalt yourselves against me and please. So he's defending himself with his friends. And then he starts addressing God. And then he starts shifting his direction on God. And then he says, God has stripped me of my glory. Verse nine and taken the crown from my head. This is how he actually feels because that's what pain does. Ooh, another quick side note, pain makes you unable to look at the future. We see that earlier. Job doesn't even care about what the future brings because he's worried about today. Pain makes you focus on today. Another conversation for another day. Now, God, he says his troops have come together and built the road against me. They encamp all around my tent. He has removed my brothers far from me and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed and my close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants, they count me a stranger. I'm an alien in their sight. He's being isolated. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I've lost my wife. I've lost my kids. I've lost my friends. I've lost my family. I've lost everybody. And God, you did this. My bone clings to my skin. He's like, I'm dying. My body is emaciated. You persecuted me as God does. <sighs> and then back to his friends. Why do you persecute me as God does? And I'm not satisfied with my flesh. Oh, that my words are written. But then he says something even in the midst of the distraction. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I don't think anybody understands how powerful those words are from a suffering man. We've heard songs, my Redeemer lives. But we don't realize where that word comes from. It came from a man who was at the lowest of low. Who was at the bottom of bottom, who was at the abyss of his life, who wanted no more than to continue to live. He, he didn't want any of that. And yet he declares, for I know that my Redeemer lives. I'm suffering, but my Redeemer lives. 
before Abraham. He says, my Redeemer lives. Before Moses, my Redeemer lives. Before Isaac, my Redeemer lives. Before Israel, my Redeemer lives. Before Hezekiah, my Redeemer lives. Before David, my Redeemer lives. Before for Ezra, my Redeemer lives. Before Esther, my Redeemer lives. Before Deborah, my Redeemer lives. Before, before any of that, my Redeemer lives. And not only before all of this that my Redeemer lives, at the end of this, my Redeemer will stand. And he shall stand at last on the earth. Oh, my goodness. The wisdom of pain is a reminder that this is not the end. <laughs> the wisdom that comes from pain is that the day will come when there is pain no more. The wisdom of pain is that this is just temporal. The wisdom of pain is to know it's not going to end like this. The wisdom of pain is to know even in the midst of it, even in the isolation, even in, the, even in all of that, none of that is, is the end. After all of this, my Redeemer lives and he shall stand last on earth. Watch this. Verse 26. After my skin is destroyed, this I know. That in my flesh, I shall see God. <laughs> when this corruptible body is gone. I will have a flesh that will see God. And then he says in verse 27, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes will behold and not another, no, my eyes, not another set of eyes, but my eyes will see it and how my heart yearns within me. Here's the end, y'all. Your satisfaction and your relief from your pain is when your eyes are fixed on something else. I'm going to close with this. And we're going to continue reading next week. Well, uh, tomorrow, not next week, tomorrow. We'll continue reading because we're going to learn about wickedness tomorrow. And, and again, a part of the God's morality and all that. I'm just here to just rant with y'all. And I just want you, I want you to see this. I want you to see this is, is that your healing is already here. And your healing is already present. There's already power in you. And yet, when we're looking to block out pain, what God is saying is he's saying in the midst of your pain, your healing will come when you fix your eyes on Jesus. 
It's funny how Jesus is already here in the Bible, in the oldest, arguably the oldest book of the Bible, and here is Jesus again, that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on earth. He's there from the beginning, and he's there at the end. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. And what Job is saying is that while I'm going through this right now, with what I'm dealing with right now, Let me get my eye off the pain just for a moment and let me take a pause and let me put my eyes on Jesus. Because if I can fix my eyes on a redeemer that lives, on the Alpha and the Omega, on the one who stands last on earth, even after my skin is destroyed, even after this body is no more, he will give me a flesh that will see God. My hope is not in this world. My hope is in the world that is to come. My hope is in a new reality. My hope is not in this. My hope is in something greater. What Job is teaching right here, the midst of suffering, is we are not to rely on what's here and now, but we are to rely on what is to come. And so that's what we do even in the midst of suffering. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, you're going to have bad days. Job has plenty of them here. And yes, there are going to be days where you just want to just scream at God and complain. And yes, there are going to be days where you feel like it ain't right. But even then, you've been given a privilege, even in the midst of your pain, to just fix your eye on Jesus. So today, let us be reminded that even in our pain, our Redeemer lives. Father, I thank you. (sighs) Lord, that you are the light and the life of all men. Lord, that you brought light to us all. (sighs) Father, we thank you that it has all begun with you and it all ends with you. You are the beginning and the end of all things. And even though as we've been learning, as we've read through the book of Job, that suffering is a part of your justice and suffering is a part of the process and that pain is is a part of the story of what you're doing and accomplishing. And yet how, how uncomfortable and how profoundly uh, debilitating and, and distracting pain can be from seeing you But Father, I ask right now that, Lord, that you would give us an extra portion of grace for those of us who are in pain to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, to be focused on you. For you are the beginning, you are the end, you are the alpha, you are the omega. And we thank you for that. We glorify your name and we bless your name. Be with us, Lord, as we continue on tomorrow. Let us continue to get wisdom even in the midst of our pain. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 